Good morning. My name is Jenny Afkinich, and my pronouns are she, her, and hers. I am a member of your Board of Trustees, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to worship at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Columbia. As we begin, we honor the Piscataway people and their ancestors. It is upon their land that we in Columbia reside. We are served by the Reverend Paige Getty, minister, as well as a talented and dedicated team of religious educators and other musicians and other professional staff. Much appreciation goes out to the many lay leaders and volunteers as well, as well whose incredible efforts and dedication help to keep us connected. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, whomever you love, and whatever your faith tradition, you are welcome here. We particularly welcome any guests joining worship this morning. We encourage you to fill out the visitors form in the lobby or online from the chat and connect with others in the virtual or the in-person coffee hour after the service so that we may meet and welcome you. Finally, for those attending worship in our sanctuary at the Owen Brown Interfaith Center this morning, please take a moment to turn off or silence your cell phones and other electronic devices. As a member of your board of trustees, I'd like to share a board minute with you following this week's monthly meeting. Among other things, the board received relational meeting training, heard an update on UCC's Green Sanctuary accreditation process, and voted to create three committees to carry forth some of the recommendations issued by the Trust and Reconciliation Committee. Join us after the service today for a virtual Q&A on the new committees. If you're joining us virtually, stay in this main room after the service. For those who are attending in person, the board will be at the engagement fair, so please visit us there. As I just mentioned, there will be an engagement fair in Sanctuary B after service today. If you're joining in person, we invite you to head over as you're able to check out the different groups and see some new and old faces. All are welcome. The 42nd annual UUCC auction is set for Saturday, November 13th, and the auction team is now seeking donations to be added to the auction catalog. We invite you to consider hosting a dinner, a game night, or an other gathering in person or online. The auction team is also sponsoring a contest to create the cover art for this year's auction catalog. View the auction web page on UUCC's website for more information about donations and the art contest. And now we'll hear about reflection groups from UUCC member Sally Ann Cooper. Good morning. Good morning. For me, the reflection group has provided a pathway to deep and meaningful friendships, either in person or on Zoom. I've had the opportunity to share ideas, opinions, thoughts, and emotions in a safe and, yes, in a loving environment. In my long time participation in reflection groups, I've gotten to know folks, many of whom I had not known before, on a deep and personal level, a level that's based on trust, understanding, and care. During COVID, especially, my reflection group was a blessing. I felt connected and loved. You're invited to join the shared 
small group ministry by going to the UUDC website, checking on programs, and scrolling down to reflection groups. Or if you are on Zoom this morning, the link is in the chat. Please note that a new morning group has been added that will meet on Zoom. In these small group ministries, we can actively listen for those precious moments when another story takes us more deeply into our own, end quote, and blessed be. Thank you, Sally Ann. Thank you, Sally Ann and Jenny. Good morning, everyone. My name is Paige Getty. I use she, her pronouns, and it is a privilege and a pleasure to worship with you this morning, whether you are here in the sanctuary or joining us via Zoom from another part of Columbia or across the continent or the world. Welcome. A couple of housekeeping notes as we begin. If you are in the room, please do not join the worship Zoom meeting. Um, what we were just hearing in here, it's, it would be worse than that. Um, so please do not join the Zoom meeting if you're here. We do have hearing assist devices in the sound booth if you need one of those, see the tech team. You can find the order of service online if you'd like to follow along with that. Uh, Valerie will put it in the chat if you're on Zoom. Those of you here in the room can use the QR codes that are posted around the building to connect to the document on your mobile device. Please email your joys and sorrows to joysandsorrows at uucolumbia.net. Or if you're here in the building and would like to write your own joy or sorrow in our book, it's at the back of the sanctuary. And go ahead and do that soon because we are going to be celebrating joys and sorrows very early in the service today. And if you are a guest with us this morning, either here in the room or online, we have a visitor form for you to fill out at the table in the lobby, or there's one online that you can fill out electronically. So please do that so we can stay in touch throughout the week. We would not be able to offer this service without our extraordinary tech team and staff and a large supporting crew of volunteers. So thank you to Chris and Graham and Liam and Tim and Jay who are in the sound booth this morning, to Richard and Zach and Sean and Hannah and Kim and Valerie and Alan and all of you who make these services happen week in and week out. Amen, thank you. <laughs> And as we continue to live into this multi-platform Sunday experience, that volunteer team needs to be even more robust than it already is. So if you'd like to be a part of that team of ushers, tech team, children's teachers, and more, please be in touch with Hannah Nelson or Sarah Davidson or Robin Slaw. In our worship service today, we are going to honor our Jewish neighbors' observance last week of the High Holy Days. It began with Rosh Hashanah, which is a New Year's celebration, and concluded with Yom Kippur, a day of repentance, atonement, and renewal. It's the holiest observance of the Jewish year. Special thanks to Inga Heider and Sherry Peruzzi and Lori Coultry, each of whom has a more direct and personal relationship than I do with those Jewish observances and they are going to be sharing their own Holy Days reflections today. And also to Michael Adcock and UUCC member Brian Barrett, who have prepared a very special piece of music this morning in honor of these Holy Days. Michael's gonna tell you a little bit more about the music in a little while. 
We begin with a poem by Marge Percy. So I invite you into a space of open-heartedness and listening and centering. The birthday of the world. On the birthday of the world, I begin to contemplate what I have done and left undone. But this year, not so much rebuilding of my perennially damaged psyche, shoring up eroding friendships, digging out stumps of old resentments that refuse to rot on their own. No, this year, I want to call myself to task for what I have done and not done for peace. How much have I dared in opposition? How much have I put on the line for freedom? For mine and others? As these freedoms are paired, sliced, and diced, where have I spoken out? Who have I tried to move? In this holy season, I stand self-convicted of sloth in a time when lies choke the mind and rhetoric bends reason to slithering, choking pythons. Here I stand before the gates opening, the fire dazzling my eyes, and as I approach what judges me, I judge myself. Give me weapons of minute destruction. Let my words turn into sparks. Let us worship. Thank you, Inga Heider, for lighting and dedicating our flaming chalice this morning with Robin's assistance. Yes, thank you, Robin. We light this candle in honor of the Jewish High Holy Days, which consist of Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. Rosh Hashanah, 10 days for reflection. Then Yom Kippur for apologizing to God and for making, and making amends to our fellow humans. And then the Sukkot, giving thanks to all, for all our blessings. I wish I could be with my son James and his wife Leslie, especially to celebrate the last part of this holiday, the Sukkot, eating and drinking and giving thanks on the, on the Sukkah, in the Sukkah, the little house James builds every year to honor this part of the High Holy Days that starts tomorrow, September 20th. That is, the circus starts. They now live in Massachusetts, so we will only be together via Zoom. But I am grateful for that. So I bid you all a, new, a happy, good year. Shona Tova. Thank you, Inga. Thank you, Robin. And now I invite all of you to join together in speaking our Congregational Covenant. 
as we remind ourselves of the covenantal nature of our community. Please join in speaking the words that you will see on your screen. Strengthened by our common humanity and inspired by our seven principles, we promise to be a safe and welcoming community, to nurture each other's hearts and spirits, to delight in the beauty of our diversity, to struggle together on our spiritual journeys, and to challenge each other to live our values. Thus, we pledge our time and vigor to the continuing celebration of spirit, of the world, and of humankind. And now I invite you to greet one another. If you're on Zoom, I encourage you to turn on your camera at least for the next minute. Go to gallery view so you can see everybody. If you are in the sanctuary, turn and wave at the camera that's over the over by the exit sign. So the <laughs> and now I invite you to greet one another. Hello, everyone. everyone. I am so happy to see you all here this morning. I have up here some dissolvable, ecologically sound, both in creation and in the dissolving, and some colored pencils that I'm going to invite you, uh, when we do joys and sorrows, to come up and take one of each. But let me tell you a little bit about the holiday first. So for more than 3,000 years, that's a long time, Jewish people have been celebrating all of their new year in the fall. Paige already told us, and Inga already told us, that's called Rosh Hashanah. And after that New Year celebration comes a day of prayer and meditation, a day of atonement, that means being sorry, called Yom Kippur. And the people eat and drink nothing from sundown to sundown, 24 hours. That's called fasting. And if people are very young or very old or ill, they are allowed to, um, they don't have to fast, they are allowed to skip that part, but they must think about the harm that they may have caused during the year. And some people go to an ocean or a lake or a river and they fill their pockets with stones and they throw a stone for each time that they feel sorry for harm they've caused. Some people also use bread, but we're told that's not such a good thing to do anymore for the wildlife. So throw a stone or use a dissolvable paper. Some people say that the ocean salt water reminds them of the tears that might fall when they were treated badly or when they treated someone else badly. So now comes the really hard part of Yom Kippur. And it's not 
enough to just say I'm sorry, but you must make amends. You must find a way to make it better than it was before you caused harm. Ooh, that could be a little challenging, right? It has to be bigger than the harm you called. And this is called teshuva. And teshuva means return in the context of returning from doing wrong. And people are supposed to think about anything they may have done within the last year that caused harm or pain to people or to animals or to the planet or to God. And they are expected not only to make right anything that might have caused pain or harm, they're also expected to leave the person better than they were before they intervened. So Yom Kippur means more than just saying, I'm sorry. And just as the offending individual is asked to sincerely seek forgiveness, we also expect the person who was harmed to forgive them. So it goes both ways. This is what teshuva is all about. It's recognizing when we've hurt others, righting our wrongs by saying sorry or forgiving and resolving to do better next time. So I'd like you to take a, just a moment now to think back on your year and what you might have done were you mean to someone? Did we take care of our pets? Think about who might have cried because of us this past year. I had a lot because of furniture we were putting together when I moved. I need to say sorry about that for picking something challenging. If you can think of someone or something that you've harmed, um, when we do Joys and Sars, please come up, take one sheet of paper and a colored pencil and write something on your piece of paper. And you can write many things on that piece of paper. It's dissolving paper, and then you can take it to a body of water after the service. We have a lake right across the street and drop it in. And the manufacturers promise it won't be harmful for wildlife. So who have you hurt? How might you need to say sorry this year? How might you, beyond saying sorry, make amends? Holy Spirit of life and of love, God of our hearts, whom we know by many names, May we feel the embrace of love, of community, of divine connection. As we face our fears, as we find ways to reconnect after so much separation, as we hope for healing, as we recognize our own privilege and good fortune, and as we grieve for those who are gone and gone too soon. May their love continue to live within us, and may we be inspired to bring their values and their memory into our world.
And now we'll share a few moments of stillness and quiet that each of us might better hear our own prayers. Amen. Blessed be. faith communities celebrate rituals, though, of course, they're more obvious in some traditions and in some communities than in others. A ritual serves to remind the individual practitioner and the faith community as a whole of something of importance, of high value, to remind us of a belief, a connection, a promise. In Unitarian Universalist spaces, we ritually light our flaming chalice as a reminder that we're part of a long-standing tradition of people of progressive faith and action. We recite our congregational covenant ritually as a reminder that it's our connections and promises with these particular people that ground us in community here. Annually, our congregations observe other rituals, coming-of-age ceremonies and child blessings and water communion and more. The words and the content of these rituals is valuable, but typically the rituals aren't mostly about the words or the content. 
They're not about acquiring new information or offering critical analysis. Rather, rituals are a repeated collective behavior so that we are less likely to forget in mind, in body, in spirit, what are our highest principles and values as a community of faith. And the rituals of the Jewish High Holy Days, especially the rituals of Yom Kippur, are a reminder of something both simple and quite profound. We mess up, and we must take responsibility for that. We behave in ways that cause harm to others, and as people of faith, we need to acknowledge the harm we've done, apologize, and repair relationships that are damaged. We fall short. Each of us and all of us falls short. And in Yom Kippur services, no individual is called out for their particular misdeeds. Rather, the rituals remind us that we are all in this together. We all mess up, and we all must participate in repair and renewal. So at the end of today's service, after we hear contributions from Sherry and Lori and Michael and Brian and Cynthia, we will share in a litany of atonement. This will be our ritual of collective renewal. But first, let's sing together. Michael's going to lead us in singing hymn number 219, O Hear My People. I invite you in the room to rise in body or in spirit, and you at home. Rise and let's sing. many ways of observing the religious requirements as there are Jews, from extremely observant to secular. I grew up in a moderately observant family, but with my whole neighborhood being completely Jewish 
and I mean six-story apartment buildings full of Jews stretching for blocks, I was very much steeped in the full spectrum of religious and cultural Judaism. My most important memory of Rosh Hashanah as a small child is that the high holy days meant not only days off from school, but also having my dad home for three whole extra days. My father owned a small retail tire store. He was the only employee except for the young man he hired for the heavy work of getting the tires on and off the customer's cars. So for the store to be open, he had to be there. And the store was open 63 hours a week, Monday through Saturday. So I especially, as the youngest, who was often asleep in bed before he got home, didn't see my dad much when I was small. But on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, he always acceded to my mother's wish to keep the store closed. And it was wonderful to have the family together. Most years on Rosh Hashanah, when the weather was good, we'd walk together to the nearby Bronx Zoo. Although my mom took my brother and me there at other times, going on Rosh Hashanah was special because my dad was with us. We all dressed in nice clothes for the holiday. And I loved walking down the street where all our neighbors were out, also dressed for the holidays, where everyone was wishing each other Lushana Tova or Gudyantif, which is Yiddish for Happy New Year, or just Happy New Year. Very special memories. As an adult, the religious aspect of Rosh Hashanah that has always meant the most to me is the Tashlich ceremony. On the first day of Rosh Hashanah, Jews from ultra-Orthodox to secular traditionally throw pieces of bread into the water, symbolically casting off their sins. Although a natural body of water containing fish is considered ideal, if none is available, any water, even a sink with some tap water in it, will do if need be. The practice is very old and may even predate Judaism, but Tashlik became a widespread Jewish practice around the 1200 CE. It's done ideally on the first day of Rosh Hashanah, but can be done anytime through the holiday season until Sukkot or Sukkot in modern Israeli pronunciation. It's much the same as what many people do at the calendar new year, writing things they want to get rid of, illness, bad habits, whatever, and burning the slips of paper. But I still like to take some bread out to one of the lakes or streams, and I, and I am very conscious to use very tiny pieces of bread and do it where there are no geese or ducks around to grab it. Um, so I still use bread and cast away my mistakes, accidental hurts to others, and whatever else I might want to start the new year without. Happy 5782, everyone. Good morning. My name is Lori Coultry, and my pronouns are she and her. I have short silver hair, and I'm wearing shades of wine and plum. As a child, I loved to draw and paint for hours every day. When I created posters for my college film series, I hand-scripted the fonts and hand-drew the visuals. At age 25, I rebuilt the carburetor on my Peugeot wagon. My spouse, Alan, set type in high school print shop, character by character. 
by hand. Our first child, Julia, on the other hand, grew up in an age of stickers. You know, kittens, puppies, smiling sons that preschoolers like to put on their pictures. Stickers were ubiquitous, and she demanded them when we offered blank paper, crayons, or paints. We bought her an easel and glorious art supplies, but to no avail. When we gently insisted that we loved her artwork better when she made it by hand and tried to withhold the stickers, she became angry and desperate. <laughs> Even stickers seem quaint now. Today's child is growing up in an age of touchscreen coloring. Even my own sketch pad and Conti crayons have been left behind. Now I code in a web environment and I create movies on software from other people's images and sounds. Paints, pastels, and brushes have given way to type, point, and click. Cars have become so technologically complicated that nobody works on them anymore. Links between what we do and our effects in the world are becoming more and more invisible. If I run my air conditioner excessively today, and there is a flood in the south next summer, my, condu my conduct connects to global warming but I don't feel it. If I hurt someone on social media, I might never know. And our larger culture is starting to tell us that we shouldn't care either, like those who consider mask wearing a derogation of personal freedom. It seems to me that we live in an extreme age of anonymous sinning. Early society is today's, is to, to do, I'm sorry, Early society is to today's society like the automobile stick shift is to the self-driving car. Moreover, many of our worst sins, the systemic ones, like racism, are invisible to those of us who are not victims. These are rendered invisible by unfortunate architectural quirks of our brains and by the manipulations of those in power. I used to think Yom Kippur was a cop-out. I hated that atoning for sins was saved for a specific time of year, seemingly allowing people to misbehave freely the rest of the time. Praying to God about it seemed a little like buying indulgences. I still think that having a season and not a life of atonement feels insufficient. And yet, human brains being what they are, I'm starting to believe that the best a religion can do is to inject a mindful understanding that as the leaves begin to turn, we will have an accounting and be expected to take stock and write what we have done wrong. Perhaps today's point of Yom Kippur is to create in us year-round attention to how things we do affect the world so we take better care of it and of each other. May we use this gift of sacred attention to heal ourselves and our planet. Thank you. Good morning, UUCC. <laughs> Take off my mask. In today's service, all of the instrumental music for the High Holy Days-inspired theme of ritual renewal was written by composers who were not specifically Jewish themselves, but had significant connections to Jewish faith, culture, and music. 
the composer Dmitry Shostakovich expressed great compassion for Jewish suffering, acutely aware of widespread anti-Semitism prevalent in 20th century Russia. At times, he personally intervened to save Jewish friends and colleagues, even hiding a refugee from the Soviet authorities at great personal risk to himself and his family. Often daring in its depiction of Stalinist terror, Shostakovich's work denounced any kind of oppressive totalitarianism. The use of Jewish melodies and Jewish-inspired themes in his music was unique for a Gentile composer of his stature. He was deeply attracted to Jewish folk music precisely because it was multifaceted, he observed, and can, can appear to be happy while at the same time profoundly tragic. A German Lutheran Protestant, the romantic composer Max Bruch, was acquainted with the city of Berlin's cantor-in-chief by the name of Abraham Lichtenstein, and it was through friendship with Lichtenstein and his family that Bruch apparently learned the Kol Nidre melody on which he based his famous piece for cello. Bruch loved the beauty of these Jewish service tunes with their complex rhythmic shades woven into a deceptive simplicity a bit like Gregorian chant and the folk music of other religious traditions. Kol Nidre, translated as all vowels, is a haunting and mysterious Aramaic prayer of atonement sung near the beginning of the Yom Kippur Eve service of the High Holy Days, an advanced disavowal of any vowels to God that be made in the coming year. The Kol Nidre portion of the service is so prominent that Yom Kippur Eve is often simply referred to as Kol Nidre in the Jewish calendar. In Brooks' composition, Kol Nidre, the opening theme is in the key of D minor and it's meant to imitate the voice of a Hazan who leads the worship of the congregation through a lyrical prayer in the synagogue. Brooke highlights the irregular phrasing of this theme and its somewhat disjunct harmonic structure. The second part of the piece, in the key of D major, is taken from a section of a Hebrew melody titled, O Weep for Those That Wept on Babel's Stream, based on a text from Lord Byron. This romantic theme contrasts greatly with the opening, leading the listener away from the initial Jewish declamation, perhaps into a world of the universal or heavenly sort of afterlife. Originally composed uh, Kol Nidre for cello and orchestra, although it's more often heard today with piano accompaniment. It's not really written for specific sacred service, but intended more for the concert hall, for people of all faiths, or perhaps even no faith. I personally think Kol Nidre is an example of appropriation at its best and most ideal. Likely it wouldn't be used so widely and accepted in many religious services today. In spite of the fact that Brook borrowed and assimilated ethnic elements, Kol Nidre comes across as a respectful homage and a sincere type of profound musical recitation. This morning, I offer special gratitude to Brian Barrett for sharing his musical gifts at the cello with us. He and his wife, Liz, are relatively numerous to our congregation and both sing in our chalice choir. Thank you, Brian. The Kol Nidre is a bit longer than our usual Sunday morning service music, so I encourage you to sit back, listen attentively, and experience the piece as a substantive musical prayer or meditation, especially coming on the heels of the last 18 months of sadness and challenge that we've all had to face during the COVID pandemic, with the hope and affirmation of a new year.
I said we've really missed that. Thank you. Thank you, Lori. Thank you, Inga. Thank you, Sherry. And thank you, Brian and Michael, for bringing these holy days to life among us. I'm now introducing those of you who don't know her to Cynthia Marshall, UUCC member, who is speaking with us this morning on behalf of the Stewardship Council, who's inviting a member of our community once a month to speak about their sense of generosity and why they invest in the well-being of UUCC. So thank you, Cynthia. Good morning, everyone. I am Cynthia Marshall, and I've been a member at UUCC for five years. And I got to know this congregation through being the organizer at PATH. And I give for many reasons. And being here today reminds me even more profoundly of why these reasons are important to me. Michael's music that moves me to tears, Paige's sermons that feed, challenge, and comfort, the joy and laughter and irreverency at the Memorial Day picnic, or at camping trip, um, the OWL program that provides lessons I don't know how to teach my kids about bodies, consent, and sex, and lessons I'm sure that they want to be learning from someone who is not their mother. <laughs> I give because UUCC invests in me. Last year, which was isolating, Michael asked me if I would give a sermon. And I responded with an enumerated list of all the reasons why I was clearly not qualified to preach. And he summarily dismissed every single one of them. <laughs> and writing that sermon ended up being one of the highlights of my year. It took me a full week of obsessing about it, writing and rewriting. It made me think differently, to articulate what I believe, what is true and moves me profoundly, in a way I never had before. Doing that let me show myself to others and made me a better person. I've recently increased my giving because while my family and I benefit personally from UUCC, giving means much more than that to me. It is investing in the building blocks of our democracy. We own this institution and no one can take that away from us. By pooling our money and resources together, by developing and supporting people to become leaders, we can act on a larger scale and amplify our values into the world in a much more powerful way than one person or even a one-issue organization can. Thank you, Cynthia. And with all of those fantastic reasons in mind, you are now invited to make your weekly or extra contribution to the work of this congregation in the world. As Michael once again offers the gift of music, your contributions will be freely and gratefully received. Those of you in the room may drop contributions in the basket by the door or give electronically as always.
As I mentioned earlier, we are going to close our service this morning by celebrating the wisdom of communal repentance. So I invite you to join as Michael and I lead a litany of atonement. It was written by Reverend Rob Eller Isaacs. The words of the congregational response, which Michael is going to lead you in singing, not speaking, are going to appear on the screen. We forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again in love. For remaining silent when a single voice would have made a difference. to start over. Sorry. <laughs> We're going to start over so you all can hear all the words and music. Thank you for remaining silent when a single voice would have made a difference. <laughs> we forgive ourselves and each for each time that our fears have made us rigid and inaccessible. We forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again in For each time that we have struck out in anger without just cause. We forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again in love. For each time that our greed has blinded us to the needs of others. We forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again in love. For the selfishness that sets us apart and alone. We give ourselves and each other. We begin again in love. For falling short of the admonitions of the Spirit. We forgive ourselves and each other. Losing sight of our unity. We forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again in And finally, for those and for so many acts, both evident and subtle, that have fueled the illusion of separateness. We forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again in love. Amen. And now, 
I bid you well for a week until we gather again. I hope those of you who are here will go and explore the engagement fair. Those of you online might stay and chat with board members about these committees we need to staff. And at noon, I will see those of you who are healthcare workers in our usual Zoom room. Be well, everyone. We'll see you next week.
Say guitar. Da. Tobu manaim Shevetachim gam yachar Hine matobu manaim Shevetachim gam yachar Hine matob Shevetachim gam yachar Call 